Today I'm going to share with you a message about the authority we have as believers in Christ and different ways that we may lose that authority or at the same time how to keep it. But just before I get into the, today's message, I just want to share a few things, some experiences I had reading the Bible and in understanding of it. When I started reading the Bible, I started for the New Testament, and I don't remember how many times I read the New Testament. My guess is it was about, I don't know, two or three times. Then I started reading the Old Testament. Coming to the book of Exodus, there's a part that Moses had an experience with God, with the burning bush. Then God's commission that he gave him to go to Egypt to bring his people out. In that conversation, at one point, Moses asked him, what is your name? This is how he said it. Exodus 3, verse 13 to 14, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When I read this verse, the first thought I had was, well, that doesn't sound like a name, I am. And my second thought was, this is what I remembered. The I am sounds like an unfinished statement. Being newly born again, child of God, having the Holy Spirit, I never pondered much when I came across verses like this that I did not understand. My usual thought was, well, perhaps one day I will understand. So I will just pass by verses that I did not understand. Three weeks ago, I was watching YouTube. I came across one of the videos. It was the, one of the messages of Billy Graham. The title said that Jesus in the Gospel of John, he finished the I am statement seven times. When I read that, I said, yes, of course. That's how Jesus finished it. It was an unfinished statement. God says, I am. Then you come to the Gospel of John. Seven times Jesus said a statement beginning with I am. That quotation from Billy Graham just sat within me very well. Just like for the first time I saw that revelation myself. And I went, pulled up all these verses chronologically in the Gospel of John. And I wrote it down here. The first one he said, I am the bread of life. Second one, I am the light of the world. Continuing, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth and life. I am the true wine. And there's another one from the book of Revelation that he says, I am the alpha and the omega, which means I'm the beginning, I'm the end. Putting all these I am statements by our Lord Jesus covers the entire Bible. If you want to know what the entire Bible means, I would say this statement by our Lord Jesus covers it all. It is the full gospel that you see in these statements. There are some Bible teachers adamantly emphasize the importance of first-hand revelation, which I totally agree. It's when you read the Bible and all of a sudden you see things from the Bible you never saw, a revelation that comes through the Holy Spirit. But some of those teachers, they say, when you teach or reveal that to the congregation, for the congregation, that revelation becomes a second-hand revelation, which is nothing more than an information. When you're talking about information, it's just mental knowledge. 
I personally do not agree with that just because Jesus himself appointed ministries for the church. And Apostle Paul gives them what ministries they are in the fourth chapter of letter to Ephesians. He says, Jesus gave to the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I've said this many times from here. There is no word pastor in the original language. It is shepherding teachers or teaching shepherds. That's the elders for you in this church. So Jesus has given those ministries to the church to reveal, to teach God's word to the people, to the believers, things that they may not see or able to see. That's the purpose of the ministries Jesus has given to the church. And Apostle Paul, speaking in this direction, he says, until, this is Ephesians 4.13, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, all those ministries are given to the church for them to become perfect, just as it says, to a perfect man, to the full measure of Christ. You're not going to get there by information alone, by mental understanding of what the minister said. It is when it is within, it's revealed, it's how you're going to get there to be a perfect man. In other words, an unbeliever cannot understand the Bible. They can read them, they can know the stories, but spiritual understanding of it will never come to them. But to the church it is given. That's the purpose of all the ministries that Jesus appointed for the church. Two weeks ago, Sam was talking about, in his message, about Mount Moriah. Towards the end of the message, he said, he asked the question, who crucified Jesus? And he said, some say Jews crucified him. Some say Romans crucified him. Some others, they say, all of us had a part in crucifying our Lord Jesus. But ultimately asked, who crucified Jesus? He said, God the Father. John 3.16, one of the famous verses in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who doesn't know that? Even unbelievers, they heard of this, John 3.16. But then Sam shows us the picture. And the picture was when Abraham tied up Isaac and put him on the altar. That's the picture of John 3.16. That God the Father sacrificed his own son for humanity. I'm sure you've heard of it. This expression they say, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. Sam showed the picture of how God offered his son on the altar. And that was when Abraham tied up his son Isaac, whom he loved, and put him on the altar. And again, what he said just sat within me so very well, just like I received it for the first time, a revelation. And why is that? Simply, both of us are born-again believers. We both have a spirit, God-given spirit. When we were born again, God gave us a spirit. Not just for us too, but everyone. A spirit that is compatible with God. And then God gave us the Holy Spirit. We both have the Holy Spirit. We speak the same spiritual language in the church. We have the same Father, spiritual Father. We have the same Lord, our Lord Jesus. We have the same Holy Spirit in us. How many more reasons do you need for whatever he said that I would understand? If you all are born again and you fall in the same category as an example of myself and Sam, 
then there is no reason for any of you not to see or hear the Lord when the minister speaks, provided the minister is appointed by Jesus himself. There's a lot of ministers, they speak from the pulpit, but they're not born-again believers. The minister is appointed by the Lord Jesus. There is no reason for the congregation not to receive it. The only thing that I can think of that can come against it is your appetite or lack of appetite for the living word, which in turn shows your appetite for Jesus our Lord. Because the Bible clearly says he is the word. John's gospel begins by this. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And he's talking about our Lord Jesus. So I said all that just to come today's message, which is basically, it's an experience I had with another verse, a verse that it says exactly what it says, but I never seen it. And for this, I want to go to Matthew chapter 8. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I'm going to concentrate on verse 9. He said, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I don't know how many times I read this gospel and these verses. The word under never caught my eye. It's like I never registered that word under in this sentence. He says, for I also am a man under authority. I'm assuming just because of what he says afterwards is I never thought that he's talking about himself being under authority because he says, having soldiers under me and I say to one, go, he goes, come and he comes and so on and so forth. But that's not what he's saying. He says, I also am a man under authority. Now, centurion is an officer of Roman army, which has 100 soldiers under his command. The word sent in Roman is 100. Letter C is the Roman numeral for 100. Centurion just simply means a, an officer that has 100 soldiers under his command. But he is under somebody else. Let's say another officer, I don't know what the ranks are, but let's say his higher up has a thousand soldiers under his command, and he just go up all the way to the commander of the Roman army, which that commander is also under the Roman Empire. So what he's saying is, he says, I'm also a man under authority. What he's saying to Jesus, 
He's saying, I recognize that you too, you are a man under authority. Under whose authority? Authority of the God the Father. I don't know how much he knew about God the Father. He knew a great deal about Jesus that he came to him. Let's assume that he knew God the Creator. He knew that Jesus is under authority, a higher authority, a supreme authority. Otherwise, who would do these things? What he was doing, which is healing sick, raising the dead, and casting demon-possessed people. This centurion says, I also am a man under authority, just like you. He went on saying, you don't have to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come. He says, just say a word and my servant will be healed. As I read, Jesus was astonished because of his great faith. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In this story, I want you to see the context. The context is the centurion that has a great faith, which is linked to his understanding of authority. First of all, he himself is under the authority. That means he respects the ones higher up. That gives him his authority to govern 100 soldiers under his command. And I would add by saying rightfully govern them because he understands authority. So this authority is directly related to the kind of faith you and I can have. Now, in the body of Christ, God has given us authority, and there's all kinds of authorities in the Bible. Every believer has authority, and there's hierarchical authorities in the body, beginning with family first. To the children, Bible says, obey your parents. To the wives, Bible says, obey your husbands. Husbands being under the head of our Lord Jesus. To the church, starting from the top, you got the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all the way to the deacons, all the way those who work in the church. These are hierarchical authorities. Bible repeatedly encourages all of us to submit the authorities. But the context of this story, you can clearly see the great faith someone needs to have an authority is to understand authority and at the same time being under the authority himself. First you exercise being submitted to somebody else, then you can have authority to do what you need to do. But our Lord Jesus, Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his teachings for he taught them as one having authority. This is about our Lord Jesus and not as the scribes. Next verse from Roman chapter 13, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. What Paul is saying here is simply that all the authorities that exist in this planet Think of it from the policeman to the mayor to the governor all the way up to the president, any other authorities in between them. He says it is appointed by God. That doesn't mean that those who are appointed there, they believers. No, it is appointed. Their office is appointed from God. And if we disrespect these authorities, it's going to end up not to our benefit. In Hebrews chapter 13, the next verse, the apostle says, obey those who rule over you, this is speaking to the church, and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 
again, the context I hope you're seeing from this story of Centurion is having the great faith. When someone in the church disrespects the authority, whatever the authority it may be, when they disrespect and they do not submit, your faith diminishes to a point that you cannot exercise that authority you have, God-given authority in the church. I'm not saying you will lose your faith, but you will not have the kind of faith. Jesus said, I have not seen such a great faith. You need a great faith to use the authority. And for that reason, it requires someone who is under authority in submission, then you can use your authority for whatever the reason God has given us. Now, I'm going to read from Luke 9, next verse. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them authority, power and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So basically, our Lord Jesus gave his twelve apostles, or disciples at the time, By the way, Judas was in there among the 12. He gave them power over the enemy, all the demons, and gave them power to heal all kinds of sickness and preach the kingdom. You may say, well, this is the disciples. This is the nucleus of the church. Let's read chapter 10, same Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The 12 were not part of the 70, so he gave them authority, same authority. He sent them just like he did with the 12. In verse 17 of the same chapter, they come back, they're reporting to our Lord Jesus, and this is what they say. Luke 10, 17 that the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, so for it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Who are these 70? They're new believers. When Jesus rejoiced and prayed, He prayed and praised God that He kept all this from the wise and the prudent, those who say that they understand. But instead, He gave it to the babes. Babes are new believers. What was it that was hidden from the wise and prudent? The power he gave them, the power over the enemy and to heal the diseases. God kept it from the wise and prudent. He gave it to babes. How do we know these are new believers? Well, Jesus said in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather your names are written in heaven. If your name is written in heaven, you're a born-again child of God. These are new believers that Christ 
And God the Father gave the same authority to them to go and do the will of the Father, which was casting demons, those who were oppressed by the enemy, those who were sick, and preached the gospel to everyone. So, we all have authority, whether you're a newborn believer in Christ or a minister. All of us have authority as the Father has given us. The story of the centurion tells us how you will lose that authority. You see, God gave us authority over the enemy, not over people, certainly not for our amusement. This is where the church and the believers stand up and take the ground from the enemy, having the authority and know how to use it when the time comes. That's one way of losing our authority. Second one, I'm going to read another verse from Matthew 21. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask one question. Which, if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 28. But what do you think? The conversation didn't end. Jesus is continuing. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first one and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. So the question he's asking them, he says, which one of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and the harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believe him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Another story, and the context here is obedience. First of all, the Pharisees ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? What was he doing? He was healing the sick, casting demons, and releasing people from their bondage, and preaching the gospel of the good news of salvation. That's what he was doing. And Pharisees asking, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority? And you know the rest. I read it for you. He said, but what do you think? And he told them a story. This father had two sons. To one of them, the first one, he says, go. He said, no, but later on he went. Second one just did the opposite. He asked this question. Which one did the will of the father? Of course, the first one. First time he said no, but then he regretted or repented. Then he did it did the father's will he just answered their question here what was the question the question was who gave you this authority by what authority are you doing these things and what jesus told this pharisees simply you say yes to god but you're not doing his will the tax collectors and the prostitutes by their life first they said no to god but after hearing the gospel they said yes they're the ones that are doing the will of the father 
He's telling them, I'm doing these things. I'm doing the will of the Father by the authority that the Father gave me. By doing the will of the Father, the Father gave me the authority. In the context of this story, you can lose the authority you have as believer by disobedience, by not doing the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? In general, I put them all together, it begins with this, that you believe Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's the will of the Father, that you believe in Jesus Christ. That's how it begins. Then the actual, what you will do in the body of Christ, that's a different story. But that's how it begins. There's another way we can lose authority, and that's humility. I'm going to give you two examples. Just look at our Lord Jesus, who he was before he came to this earth. He was the Son of God, second member of the Trinity. The Bible says everything was created through him. He's God the Son. He set that all aside. He came and was born just like one of us. Even the letter to the Hebrews says, lower than the angels, he was born like one of us. Look where he was born, in a stable. There was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. So they end up in a stable. After Jesus was born, the first bedding he had was in the major. This is where the animals graze. You know, humanly, we would think, he's the son of God. He's about to be born. He would provide the best hotel for the mother or the father to stay. We would think that he would provide the best hospital for the child to be born. But no, he was born in the stable. You take every point of his life on earth in his ministry, you can see his humility. Last evening he had it with his disciples. He washed the feet of his disciples. And he wasn't even expecting for them to wash his feet. He said, do likewise for each other. You know, the logic would say, I washed your feet, you washed my feet. But he didn't even want that. Do likewise for each other. One of my favorite verses, somebody said in the gospel, I will follow you. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that was the reality. He just didn't say it for the sake of saying it. And that was God the Son, the Creator. Now see just the opposite, who Lucifer was. Lucifer, or Satan, or devil, or the deceiver, he's got many names in the Bible. Lucifer was created by God, one of the powerful angels God ever created. Not only powerful, but in wisdom, in beauty, and the Bible says when he walked, notes and music emanated from his body. That's how powerful, angelic being he was. What happened? Bible says an iniquity was found in him. And he uttered five catastrophic I wills. Beginning by saying, I will raise my throne above the throne of Almighty. See the appetite of this angelic being, a created being. He wants to be worshipped and take his throne higher than God. That's what Jesus said. I saw Satan come down like a lightning. He wanted to take the throne. Father cast him out. And see what he's going to end up in the Bible. In the lake of fire for the eternity to come. If you walk like Christ as a believer, you become Christ-like. If you walk the other way with pride and arrogance, that's the original sin in universe, not on earth, in universe. Pride and arrogance. You see, as fallen humanity, we have all these things in us. It's in our DNA. 
to have pride and arrogancy. And once in a while it crops up and surprises yourself too. Everybody is like that. You walk that way, that's evil. I would go further by saying, when you have pride and arrogance to in any direction of your life, whatever. Bible says, boasting about what you have and what you do in life is not from the Father, but from the evil one. You walk like that, I will say, that's satanic. You have to say these things once in a while for people to grab, to understand how important it is, the humility of Christ versus on the other side, arrogance and pride of Lucifer that brought him down all the way. The quickest way you can lose authority is with having pride and arrogance. In a New York Minute. Do you know what New York Minute is? According to New Yorkers, that's a New York Minute. Down in L.A., it's still 60 seconds. That's too fast for me to lose the authority. Still too fast. In closing, I want to say this. I was looking at the last 10 months. I would say a great many of us went through a lot of difficult time. A great number of people we know took sudden sickness, including members of our church, and they're still going through as I speak. Enemy will come after you as a believer, no matter what you do in your life. Just look at our Lord Jesus. In his whole life on earth, he never gave a foothold to the enemy. And at the same time, he did not break any law. He did not commit any sin. But that didn't stop the enemy to come after him. He came after him from the beginning. He tried to kill him when he was born. Ended up killing all the children up to two years old. He came after him all the time. And eventually, when he died on the cross, he thought that he got rid of him. Little did he know that by his death on the cross and resurrection, he crushed his head. Just as exactly as God said in the Garden of Eden. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And when it comes to us as believers, God knows how many doors and windows we open for the enemy to come. It makes no difference. Even if you live as righteously as a human being can possibly live, he will still come after you. You know, we always think if I commit a sin or if I do a mistake, he will come after me. No, he will come after you in any case. The Bible says he has nothing else to do but come to steal, to kill and destroy. There's nothing else he could do. There's nothing in his nature. When he opens his mouth, he lies. That's what Jesus said. To Adam and Eve, he said, if you eat the fruit of the tree, you will be like God. He lied. They were already like God. God created them in his own image and his own likeness. But then they believed that lie and fall of humanity came after that. How difficult it is to have a conference. To set a date and have a conference. And what do we do in conferences? Let me tell you what we do. We're going to have more fellowship. We're going to pray. We're going to worship more than ever. And we're going to hear a ton of word in a short period of time. And all of that is a menace for the enemy. What do you think he will do? He will provide you a way to have a conference? No. He doesn't want to see that. Anything that causes us to grow in Christ, he will come against it. As believers, we have authority. What I want to do today is simply this. Have you all stand up and just think about what you heard in today's message as far as how you and I as believers in Christ can lose the authority and not being able to use the authority over the enemy. What are they? 
disrespect the authority, indisobedient, doing the will of the Father, or the quickest way in arrogance and pride. I'm sure there are many others in the Bible. I just gave you the three examples how we lose authority. Just think about what you heard today in, in that direction. If you find yourself in those categories, all you have to say is, Lord, forgive me. And the Bible says, submit yourself to God. That's the first thing. If you have to repent, repent. Submit to God first. And then resist the devil. And the Bible says he will flee from you. If the enemy attacks your life in a specific direction, constantly, repeatedly, there's something wrong. Whatever it is, it could be your health or a health of a member of your family. If the enemy is attacking your finances or your job, your position, you see, he comes to do all that, to steal, to kill, to destroy. If it happens repeatedly, there's something wrong. You have to take charge. If you're head of the house, take the charge of your household by the authority given from God the Father himself and do something about it. In any time you repent, Bible says he's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the way God is. He never turns his face away from anyone. But if you come to him by faith, he's always there to protect you. What it is we're going to pray is just to bind the enemy by the authority that God has given us to come against all the difficulties, all the sickness. The 10 months every week was something going wrong, whether it's sickness or difficulties. God does not protect us from difficulties, but he takes us through all of them. But we have to pray and use the authority given to us by faith in Jesus' name. I will begin to prayer, and if you want to pray for anything, you're welcome to pray also and join in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your presence. Every time, Lord, you are faithful. As you said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, you said you will be among them, Lord. I praise you, and I thank you, Lord, for all the work that you do, revealing your word, opening our eyes and ears to see and understand. Even today for the authority and all that you have given us in understanding of it, revealing what it is you want us to see and go forward. Father, by the authority you have given us, I'm bringing everyone in this congregation in Jesus' name. I pray for every person who is sick, every person who needs healing, every person that has pain, or even any person who is going to go through some procedures all of them into your presence, and I bind the enemy from any one of them in Jesus' name. By the authority you have given us, I bind the works of the enemy, his lies and his corruption in Jesus' name. We believe the word that it says, by your stripes we were healed. That's what we believe and that's what we speak in Jesus' name. I speak healing for every single person who needs healing. We bring all of them to your presence. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us this privilege to come to the presence of the Father and pray. As you said, whatever we pray in your name, you'll hear our prayers. How we bless you and we thank you, Lord. And we say we love you because you loved us first. While we were yet sinners, you died for us, Lord. Hallelujah. May your name be blessed everywhere we come together, Lord. Blessed be your holy name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
With this prayer, we have committed all of you and us in the hands of the Lord, in understanding that He takes care of us, He's protecting us always, and all the difficulties that we go through, including all the illnesses, we have committed into Him. He's the healer. The Lord says, I'm the Lord that heals you. Amen? God bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday.